Good morning, church. You guys doing all right this morning? You good? What did you guys think of that new song this morning? You like that? And the band do a great job. Can we show a little love for the band leading us this morning? Man, I was, um, I was at the back of the room during that song, and I was kind of thinking, you know, over the last several years, um, not, that, not, not that I'm morbid, so don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not a morbid guy. But, but I've spent some time thinking about, you know, when God decides to bring me home, like I want my service, like the, the memorial service for my life, I want it to be like an all-out celebration, party, throwdown, lots of like celebratory music and that kind of thing. Like that's what I want. Like I want a worship service, not like a funeral thing for me. That's kind of what I was thinking. And so I've been kind of, kind of compiling the playlist, right, like for my funeral, um, and, and every time like, I, I hear a new song that moves me or that, that inspires me or that just kind of sings my heart's cry or whatever, like, I kind of make a mental note, like, yeah, I need to add this to the list. Right? So right now we're up to like three hours and 30 minutes of music. Um, uh, <laughs> and I, just, I think I just added a new one because, man, what a, what a powerful message and a powerful truth that, that God pursues us in a way that we can just, we can't even fathom how, how desperately he wants to, to, to know us and to be known by us. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm really excited that, that you chose to come and, and hang out with us today. Um, whether this is your first time or, or your, your, you know, a lot of times that you've been with us. But if this is your first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. We really like new people uh, here at Fusion City Church. And so if this is your first time hanging out with us, man, we're really glad that you chose to, to come and, and to do that um, here. Uh, we like new people so much that if this is your first time, we have a gift for you. It's just our way of saying Man, thanks for coming. Thanks for hanging out. And so how you get that is you'll take just a few minutes during the service today to fill out your connection card. That's the bottom part of the, the program that you got when you came in. And then take that to the hub. That's the area just inside the doors, uh, the front doors. Uh, again, we have a gift there for you. Just our way of saying, man, we're really excited that you chose to, to check out Fusion City Church. If you weren't with us last week, that was the first message of our new year. And we learned last week that if, if you haven't been here, then you don't know this, but every year uh, we pick a, a theme for the year. We, we believe or we believe that God wants to do something specific in and through the body of Fusion City Church this year. And so every year we kind of pick the thing that we want to focus on for that year. And then we commit for like for 2018, this is what we're going to focus on this year. And we learned last week that, that we believe that what God wants us to focus on in 2018 as a church and as individuals is listening for his voice so that we can listen and do what he says, listen and do what he tells us to do. So we are listening because we believe that God is speaking. Now, now we know, and I'm sure that you, that you know, that the primary way that I believe God speaks to us is through the Bible, through Scripture. And so we've decided that this year, our church, we're going to put a great emphasis on reading the scriptures, reading the Bible that you and I have, that we have access to, which is an incredible privilege for us in the United States of America where we have the freedom to read this book that is in so many other countries forbidden and looked down on. And I think that oftentimes we might miss the, the, the miracle that is the Bible. I think that we, we in our you just, you know, kind of ignorance is bliss kind of mentality. Maybe we don't know that the miraculous nature of this, this thing that we have access to, this book, God's word written to 
humanity. And so I want to spend some time today maybe just kind of revealing that to us and for us from, from even an, an extra biblical or an outside of the Bible look at what the Bible is and how, how miraculous it is that we, that we hold it. Um, now, we encourage you guys to, to take notes, and there's going to be a lot of stuff on the screen today for you to write down if you're a note taker. Um, last week, if you weren't here with us, um, and they're available again today, we have these new, these new fancy books. Uh, every year, we, we try to give you guys an opportunity to, uh, to, to, to hold on to a book, something you can bring back with you each week and record your notes. And so when you get to the end of 2018, you're like, what did I learn back in January? Uh, oh, and then it's right there. And uh, for our connect groups also, there's a place in here for you to record um, that your answers to the, the, the questions questions that we'll discuss in connect groups and kind of that stuff. And we're doing those a little bit differently this way. And so all that's in there for you. Um, we also put stuff on version uh, for you on your phone. Um, I didn't have that up first thing this morning, so it's up there now. Uh, real quick story. Uh, not going to take a lot of my time, but um, just an amazing story of how uh, God uh, convicts and, and, and condemns when we are sinful. Um, my, um, my pants are a little loose today. I uh, wore the wrong belt. And so I asked my wife to bring me a belt and she forgot to bring my belt. And so she, was, she came in the back doors and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And instead of being the compassionate, loving husband that, that I should be, and she's like, what do you I mean? Do you want to wear my belt? And I was like, no, I don't want to wear your belt. What I want is for you to stop forgetting stuff. Like that's so, it was so tender, loving, like it was, it was so gracious and merciful. Um, in that moment, Joe walks up and he's like, hey, do we have you version for today? And I was like, no, I forgot, man. Like I, I just forgot. And so like in that moment, it's like I'm fussing to my wife forgetting and Joe reminds me that, that I'm forgetful too. So thank you, Joe, for being my, my, the presence of my Holy Spirit this morning. That's awesome. God speaking to me through Joe this morning. Um, reminding me that, that we, all, we all fall short, right? So uh, I, I did fix it. version is up. You do have access to it. So if you want to record notes there, you can record notes in version, or you can use... Um, your handy-dandy 2018 Fusion City Listen, God is Speaking book to record uh, some, some notes for today. So like I, like I said, what I want to talk to us about today is, is the miracle that is this Bible that we hold. Uh, a friend of mine, Pastor Dennis Chapman, some of you guys know Dennis. Uh, Dennis is the pastor of Celebration Church in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina now. And he used to hang out in Kannapolis with, with some of us a long time ago. And so some of you know him. Dennis used to say this all the time in referencing the, the miraculous nature of, of the Bible, and it stuck with me forever. And if you guys know Dennis, he's kind of a cheesy guy, so he speaks in cliches and cheesy sayings, but for some reason they just seem to stick with me. And so maybe if I repeat to you the, the cheesy cliche saying about the, the miraculous nature of the Bible, maybe it'll stick with you too. Um, this is what he said, that the Bible is a book that man would not have written if he could have and couldn't have written if he would have. Right? I mean, let me take a minute and let that sink in. The Bible is a book that man couldn't have written if he would have and wouldn't have written if he could have. Now, I'm going to break that down into kind of into two parts. So we'll look at both parts of that together this morning. All right, it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to have a great time. All right, here we go. So in the first part, the Bible is a book that man couldn't have written. That, that, that he couldn't have written it even if he wanted to. Here's what I mean. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, any of you ever have trouble deciding where to go eat with your families? Anybody? Like you, or, or with a group of friends, like you get four or five of you together, and you're like, all right, let's all go eat together. Let's go eat. And then it's like, all right, where are we going to eat? Well, I don't know. What do you want? Well, I don't know. I don't really have a, you, you, how many of you have, have had this discussion? Come on, throw your hands up. Be, all right, little, let's all get on some solidarity together this morning, right? all right? Some unity. All right, good. So for most of my life, my dad threatened 
Uh, and I th- it was a million-dollar idea. My dad had a great idea. We're not millionaires because he just had the idea. Right? That's kind of how million ideas typically work. <laughs> they just kind of they come and they're right out. All right, so dad had this brilliant idea. Dad was going to create a, a, a chain or a string of restaurants with the title of the restaurant to be, I don't know. And then another, another restaurant that would say, what do you want? Right? And so that way, every time you ask your wife or your husband or your children, well, hey, where do you guys want to eat? And they're like, I don't know. Cool. That's where we're going. And then you get in the car and you go to like the restaurant called Brilliant, right? Y'all say yes because dad will listen to the podcast. Y'all, y'all, y'all get, get affirmed, right? Right. All right, good. So there's some love. Dad, like, you should have done it. Then, you know, <laughs> we'd have been rich. But it's so difficult to get even a group of four or five or six people to agree on where to go eat. And you're going to eat, and then like six hours later, you're going to eat again. It's not even like your last meal. There's, no, there's nothing riding on the decision of where to go eat. Yet we, we have trouble agreeing on, well, I don't like Mexican. Why don't we do Asian? Why don't we like Asian? Why don't we do, right? You, you guys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me show you some facts about the Bible that just that will blow your mind. This is why man could not have written the Bible. Watch this. The Bible is comprised of 66 books. It has, we believe, about 40 different human contributors or human authors. It was written across a span of 1,600 years on 13 different companies, three, uh, 13 countries, three different continents, written in three different languages. Yet it agrees theologically, morally, doctrinally, and historically. Now you and I, we can't get five people in one car, in one city, in one state of one country to agree on where to go eat. But God, through the supernatural power of his Holy Spirit, working in the authors that he chose to contribute to the Bible that we have, kept it consistent and accurate without discrepancy or contrast. 40 different authors, 1,600 years. Isn't that incredible? That's awesome. So let's, let's talk just for a few minutes about how you determine a, a historical book because for all the things that the Bible is, the word of God and all the, 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 the wonderful things, it is a historical book. Now, there, there are two factors that the powers that be, I don't even know who they are. We'll call them historians because I don't have a better title for them. But there are two factors that historians use to determine a book's credibility and historical accuracy. All right, those two things are uh, how many of the original or how many of the ancient manuscripts do we have? How many copies of this book or letter or whatever do we have in antiquity, right? So how many copies of it do we have? How many manuscripts are there? And how long after the events took place did the writer of said book record them? All right, so those are kind of just, we're gonna go a little nerdy. Like all the nerds are geeking out right now. Like, oh yes, facts. Like they, like, they love this kind of stuff. And some of you are like, oh, just preach, right? So like, just hang with me for just a few minutes because it's, it's gonna get, you, you're gonna like it. So two factors, right? How many, how many manuscripts are there and how long after the events took place were they recorded by the author? Those are the two criteria that historians use to determine a book's authenticity and credibility. All right, so the Bible. There are 5,700 
Greek manuscripts, the original language that the New Testament, and we're just talking about the New Testament, by the way. I didn't really have time to include everything Old Testament and New Testament, so we're just talking about the New Testament. So the New Testament, there are 5,700 manuscripts, ancient manuscripts of the New Testament in Greek, 9,000 of them in, in other language. The next closest book, which is considered to be historically accurate, is Homer's Iliad, and it has 643 manuscripts. You got that, right? Like there are 5,000 more manuscripts of the Bible than Homer's Iliad. There's no possible way that any other book can be considered as historically accurate as the Bible. Here's an interesting fact. Sorry, I had, to, I had to consult my notes. There's a lot of information. There are still 5,700 manuscripts that we, that we know exist, despite the fact that in 303 A.D., the Roman emperor Diocletian, let me make sure I'm saying that right. Yep, the Roman emperor Diocletian made a decree that all copies of everything related to the Bible would be destroyed. And for eight years, the, the church was under the persecution of this Roman emperor who was persecuting Christians, burning churches, and destroying every copy of scripture that, that he could possibly find. Yet, even with this intense persecution and intense effort to wipe the Bible off of the face of the planet, we still have 5,000 more copies of the New Testament than we do any other ancient historical book. Isn't that awesome? That's pretty cool, right? Do your heads like this. It's awesome. You can disagree with me. It's good. All right. So, just try to wrap your minds around the, the fact that, that no other book has been as wide, widely fought against as the Bible, yet more of it still exists than any other ancient writing. Even if, even if this Roman emperor would have succeeded in getting rid of all of the copies of Scripture, the New Testament, that, that he could have access to, all but 11 verses of the New Testament were recorded in quotations by early church leaders. So even if he had gotten rid of all the writings of the Bible, the actual manuscripts, he would have still had uh, trouble getting the, the Bible wiped out completely because other church leaders and early church fathers were quoted the Bible so much in their original writings that all but 11 verses of the New Testament can be found in writings outside of the Bible. Isn't that awesome? You know, it's, it's almost like there was some supernatural power or something trying to make sure that the Bible survived. Despite the intense criticism and scrutiny of trying to wipe it off the face of the planet together, we still have more copies of the New Testament than any other historical work. So now skeptics, because there are many, Skeptics will often ask, well, yeah, well, well, how come God didn't just preserve the original? Like if there was an original copy of the New Testament or the original copy of every letter written by Paul and the original copy of every letter written by any other New Testament author, why wouldn't God just preserve the original? Norman Geisler and Frank Turek wrote a book. We, we introduced you guys to it several years ago. I, I highly encourage that you read it if you're, a, if you're a kind of a nerd like me and you geek out over like all the facts that I'm talking about today. There's a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist uh, written by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. And this is, this is a quote from their book. They said this. They said, if the original were in someone's possession, that person could change it. 
But if there are copies spread all over the ancient world, there's no way a scribe or priest could alter the word of God. Ironically, not having the originals may preserve God's word better than actually having them. Isn't that cool? Like the fact that there aren't originals maintain its authority and authenticity better than if we had the original because then we have more trust in it because you can compare copy to copy. There's no way to alter it. God not only preserved the Bible but preserved it in its original thoughts and language and words. He, he preserved it perfectly by making sure that multiple copies existed. So, so that kind of speaks to the, 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 the first factor that historians would use to, to make a book or declare a book to be credible. That there are lots of manuscripts and they're uh, consistent. And the second factor I said is that how long after the, after the events took place was the, the Bible written? So again, the Bible smokes every other book on the face of the planet, including the next closest book, which is Homer's Iliad. The Bible was written in 70, or none of the books of the Bible, we believe, were recorded much after, maybe a couple of years, but not too far after, 70 A.D. The events of Jesus' life took place in about 40 A.D., or I'm sorry, about 30 A.D., meaning that the Bible was written 40 years, most of the Bible was compiled, up to or not, no longer than 40 years after the events took place. The next closest book, again, is Homer's Iliad. The events are recorded 500 years after the events took place by people who probably weren't there because nobody lives to be 500. The Bible is recorded by, by eyewitnesses, people who were, who were there, people who walked and talked with Jesus and recorded his teachings. And here's how we know or here's why we believe that the Bible was written no later than or not much past 70 A.D. It was a pretty significant event that took place in, in the life and the history of the, the Jewish culture, which was the destruction of the temple, which all historians typically agree that the temple was, was destroyed in about 70 A.D., yet no book of the Bible records this event happening. Now, this event, the destroying of the temple, think for us in our American culture, right? Think Pearl Harbor, all right? Think 9-11, these, uh, these terrible atrocities that have happened to the nation of the United States of America. Imagine an American history that doesn't record Pearl Harbor or 9-11. No such historical book would ever exist. If you were going to write down the major events in the, the life and history of the United States of America, those two events would have to be included. The same thing is true for the destruction of the temple, which would have been a terrible atrocity for the Jewish people. Yet no New Testament book records the destruction of the temple, which leads us to believe that everything that happens in the Bible took place before 70 AD, because imagine a world where you wouldn't record that catastrophic event. There's no such world that exists, which gives us a lot of confidence in believing that the Bible was written prior to 70 AD. The Bible is absolutely 100% historically accurate, more accurate than any other historical work that's ever been written, including the, the next closest book, which was the Iliad. Now, so that for me, 
And if it's not for you, come see me. There's way, there's way more information that we can convey. Just didn't have time for it this morning. For me, that pretty much answers the question that man could not have written this book. Man could not have written it even if he wanted to because there's no way to maintain the consistency and the historical accuracy. The Bible is not a book that could have been written by man even if man would have. Let's flip our attention to the second half of my cheesy cliche saying from Pastor Dennis who says that the Bible is a book that couldn't have been written by man even if, or wouldn't have been written by man even if he could have. I think I got those backwards on the screen if I'm looking at that right. I apologize. You get the idea. The Bible is a book that couldn't have been written by man if it would have, wouldn't have been written if it could have been. Again, let me give you some examples to think about why we can trust the writers. They would not have written the New Testament even if they could have, even if it was possible, they wouldn't have done it. And here's why. Let me give you three reasons why I trust the, the writers of the New Testament. Number one, the New Testament writers include embarrassing details about themselves. All right, think about this for a minute. If you were going to write a book about you, and you were going to talk about the time that you spent with Jesus and all that you learned and all that you did and all the wonderful things that you did, would you include the fact that, let me look at some of these, hold on a minute, <clears throat> that you're dim-witted. Multiple times Jesus is teaching to the disciples and they're like, yeah, we don't get it. And he's like, oh. Right? You can almost read Jesus' frustration. That, that time after time the disciples couldn't latch on to what Jesus was teaching. And they had to ask him over and over and over again to re-explain to them because they, didn't, they, they just couldn't track along with what he was saying. Not only were they, did they record the facts about themselves that they were dim-witted, it also records facts that they were uncaring. If you're familiar with the story, right before Jesus goes to the cross, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he tells the disciples, hey, will you guys just, I'm in total anguish, would you guys stay up and would you pray with me, like help me plead on behalf of, of, of myself to God the Father that he would let this cup pass from me? And he didn't tell them all that, but you get the idea because you know the story. He's like, hey, would you guys just stay up with me? Would you labor with me in prayer for the night? And they're like, yeah, Jesus, we love you, man. Like, we're, we're going to stay up all night. We're going to pray with you. And they, they didn't stay awake. And Jesus went away, and he prayed, and he came back, and they were all asleep. You guys remember that? I mean, what could make, possibly make you look worse than falling asleep on the Savior of the world when he asked you to pray? Right? I'm not great at staying awake when I try to pray. Sometimes I fall asleep while I'm praying too. But I think if Jesus asked me, like I, toothpicks in the eyes, and his mainline cough, something. But, but they didn't. They failed to stay awake with Jesus. Uh, they were rebuked. There's one time that Jesus calls Peter Satan. You guys remember that? Like, get behind me, Satan. He's talking to Peter, right? If I'm writing a book, if I'm Peter, writing a book about Peter, guess what I'm not including? The time that Jesus called me Satan, right? I'm not putting that in the book. One more. They were cowards. Remember when Jesus went to the cross and you couldn't find a disciple anywhere? They were doubters. Jesus told them, hey, I'm going to die and then I'm going to come back to life. And they were like, oh, no, he's dead. Right? And they had no clue. Like no frame of reference for trusting the things that Jesus said. They include these embarrassing details about themselves. I don't know about you. But for me, that makes me want to trust them. Because if you're going to include the dirty details about yourself, I trust everything else that you write. Number two. 
The New Testament writers include more than 30 historically confirmed people in their writings. So let's say, for instance, here's what I mean. Let me, let me say, for instance, that since Joe was so kind to point out my sin this morning, I thank you for that, Joe. Jesus is working on me, courtesy Joe. I'm going to write a book about Joe. And I'm going to say that Joe um, beats his wife and that he's greedy and he's selfish and he steals things and he's just the, the world's worst person ever. Now, if I write that book about Joe and Joe still lives, guess what Joe's going to do? Joe's probably going to print a rebuttal that says, yeah, all the stuff that that dude said was a lie. Right? And then it's his word versus mine. The, the New Testament writers include writings about 30 historically confirmed people. They wrote stories about people that history tells us existed. Like, Outside of the Bible, other sources confirm that these people actually lived. The, the New Testament writers write about those people, say this is what those people did, and they don't deny it. You can't write lies about people that actually exist and get away with it. You can write them, case in point, our media. Like You can, you can write them, but then there's going to be tremendous amounts of backlash proving that you're just making stuff up. That doesn't happen with the Bible. Again, the world's most scrutinized and criticized book, that there are no retractions. There are no second account. There's no third shooter on a hill. There's none of that. The New Testament writers include things that actually happen and nobody pushes back. And third, third point, and this for me might be the the. the punch that drives everything home. The New, Te New Testament writers did not deny their testimony, did not deny their account under persecution and threat of death. As a matter of fact, we know that all of the disciples, except for one, were martyred. They were killed for their faith and killed for their testimony and what they said about Jesus. And the one that didn't die, he was actually boiled in oil, just didn't die. That's a bad day. Here's the point. Imagine this. Imagine you're telling a lie. I know it's a stretch for all of us. None of us ever fudge the truth at all. But imagine that you're telling a lie. And then somebody calls you on your lie and says, if you don't stop telling the lie that you've been telling, I'm going to kill you. Just let that sink in for a minute. Like, I'm going to stab you, I'm going to crucify you, I'm going to stone you to death, I'm going to boil you in oil if you don't recant your story. I don't know about you, but if I'm lying and somebody threatens to kill me for my lie, all of a sudden I'm not quick, I, I, you know, you know I, hey man, I was just playing, like Jesus, he wasn't real, like he didn't really live, he didn't really die, he didn't really come back, like none of that stuff was true, man, please don't kill me. None of them do it. Every single one of the apostles went to their death still proclaiming that Jesus was who he said that he was and that he did the things that they said that he did. I don't know about you. There are some things that I would die for, but never for a lie. But I'd dang sure die for the truth. And they did. So again, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, that makes me trust what they write. If you're willing to die for what you've written, 
Man, that, makes, that really makes me believe you. And, and another point, this, this, I guess this could have been number four. It's not in there. Just listen for a moment. These guys weren't looking for a new religion. They were, at the, they were at the top. These guys were devout Jewish people. And the Jews believed that they were the one true religion of the one true God and that they were God's chosen people. They weren't looking for a new person to follow. They were already following God. And here comes Jesus like, no, but I'm God. And they're like, okay. And they weren't looking for a new religion. It was, it was presented to them and demonstrated to them so much to the fact that they're willing to die for it. And then they wrote down the things that this person that told them to follow him said and the things that he did. And I just trust them enough to believe that what they wrote was true. Even, and, and they record the words of Jesus who said that he was God. So if, they, if Jesus said it and he's God and they wrote it down, that makes the Bible what? It makes the Bible the word of God that we have access to, you and me. In 2018, in North Carolina, United States, we have access to the word of God recorded for us by men that we can trust in a book that's historically accurate and authentic. Because the New Testament writers, they, they write, they were so careful in recording the words of Jesus. They made sure to distinguish between his words and theirs because they didn't want anybody to get confused. I know this is what Jesus said this is what I did I was dumb and I didn't understand it but this is what Jesus said and if he said it you can take it to the bank because he's God and he demonstrated that over and over and we recorded that too by the way in case you're wondering I trust the writers they believed he was God enough to die for it and then they recorded his words which are to us God's word if you want to hear from God in 2018 if you want to to listen and hear what God is saying. I mean, you need a Bible. You have access to it on your phone and we'll put it on the screen and you can read it. We'll get, if you don't have a Bible, we'll buy you a Bible. You can pull it up on your phone. There's, have tr tremendous access to this, to this miracle book. Now, here's the thing. I, I've made my case today without reading a word of scripture. Did you notice that already? Like We didn't read the Bible yet. I'm just, I'm just making a case based on your, you, you, you don't have to use your soul and the Jesus inside of you. Don't, this is just logical. But here's, you know, if the Bible is, is as true as I believe that it is, that it's going to say something about itself. This is, what, this is what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. He said this. He said, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention. Well, that's an understatement of the century. You would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is Peter, somebody who wrote the Bible saying, I didn't write this. I, I couldn't have written this even if I wanted to, and I wouldn't have written it even if I could. That no man records the prophecies of Scripture 
but it's God who carries them along to make sure that the Holy Spirit communicates to us what he would have communicated. So here's the question that we're left to answer. Why? Why does it matter? I mean, it's, yeah, is it historically accurate? I think we've proven it. If you need more information, I'll, I'll give you the book that, that I got a lot of this information from. It's a fantastic resource, heavily researched, pages and pages and pages that I condensed into a little short block of information for us today. It's historically accurate. And, and the men who wrote it, I believe there's enough evidence in what we talked about today to prove that, that they can be trusted to tell you the truth. I gave you three points in the book. There were 12 if you want to read the book. We've got a couple copies of it at the Hub if you want to buy one. We've got a copy there for you. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. They give you 12 reasons that you can trust the New Testament writers. I gave you three of the 12. If you're doing math, that's a quarter. And I still think it's enough information that we can, we can trust the New Testament writers. But why does it matter? Yeah, okay, it's historically accurate and I can trust it. Awesome. Now what? Why did God so carefully preserve Scripture? Why did he make it more credible than any other book on the face of the planet or throughout antiquity or eternity? Why? Let me tell you what I think. You see if you agree with me. Because I believe that God wants to be known by you. God wants you to know him. He knows you. He created you. He knows everything about you. But that's not enough for him. Because he wants to be known by you. And here, here's, here's what's been true for my life. I, I know that it'll be true for yours. The more that you learn and know of God, the more you'll love him. If you say, I don't think I can trust him and I don't really think I love him or whatever, it's because you don't know him. You don't know him well enough yet. But you can. You want to know why you can? Because he wrote a book. And then he preserved it for thousands and thousands of years, thousands and thousands of copies. And then he gave you all the credibility in the men that he had write it down so that you can know that you can trust them to record it accurately. Because God wants to be known by you. Do you get that? Like, does that hit you at all? If it doesn't, come see me in the back and I'll hit you. And then we'll read the Bible. Like, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to threaten you. But I just, man, I so badly want you to get this, that, that we, you and I, that we have access to knowing our Heavenly Father, the creator of everything that you can see, feel, smell, and touch. He, you can know him. And be in relationship with him and find out about his reckless love for you and the way that he pursues and the way that he doesn't give up. And he gave to us this, this model for how to live in his son Jesus. And then he recorded that for us too so that we could always know how we could live to honor and please the one that gave his son for us. Like all of that is in the Bible and you have it. Why would you not read it? No, I don't understand it. It's a cop out. I told you last week, I'll, I don't like to be repetitive, but why not? 
How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to know the one that bankrupted heaven for you? Because your desire is directly equivalent to your effort in reading, in studying. Just, just try it. Because this year, this is, this is what I want for you. This is what our pastors want for you. This is what our church wants for you. This is what we spent our uh, three days trying to figure out what do, we, what do we believe God wants to do in us this year. God wants us to read. He wants us to read this book that we can trust. Why? So that we'll know him. And you can do it. So last week, here's what we did. Last week, if you were with us, if you weren't, here's what we did. In, in the back of your book, there's a calendar, right? In the, the back of the book that I talked about at the beginning, the listen book. There at the back of the room, you can get one on your way out. In the back, there's a calendar. We asked you last week to pick a day, a time every single day that you would set apart to spend time listening for your heavenly father so that you can listen to your heavenly father. I hope that you did that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that calendar from last week and I want you to duplicate it this week. That you have, more, that you have a time every single day that you are going to spend listening for God so that you can listen to God. And then we're going we're gonna to add to it. Here's what I want you to do. I, I read just two verses, three verses, 19 through 21, out of 2 Peter chapter 1. This week, every day this week, would you read a portion of or the whole chapter of 2 Peter chapter 1? Write it down. 2 Peter chapter 1. It's short. It's like this long. You can read it. Like, it's like two f- thumb flips on your phone. Like you can read it. 2 Peter chapter 1. You can break it into sections, do a couple of verses a day, or you can read the whole chapter every day. I, I don't particularly care which of those you choose, but I would ask that every single day that you would spend some time reading through, thinking about, and meditating on the words of 2 Peter chapter 1. That's, that's 2 Peter chapter 1. If you missed that, that was 2 Peter chapter 1. Every day, that's, that's all days in a week, this week. Can we do that? Can we do that? We can do it? Do you have it like this? All right, good. Let me pray for you because you're going you're to struggle. <laughs> Father, Father, we know that you are a, a good Father. You're a good God, and we know that you love us. Father, you have provided us access to this incredible book, your word written through human offers by men that we can trust, recording the accounts of your son, Jesus, who we believe in and put our faith and trust in knowing that his words are your words, and God, we want to hear your words. So, Father, would you give us the strength to honor the commitment that we've made in this moment to read, to seek you out, to search your word this week. God, we we want to do that because we desperately desire to know you. And we know that we can. So, Father, help us. Anytime we start something new, God, there's always a challenge. But would you help us to honor or renew this commitment to read your word every day? Thank you, Father, for the gift of your word to us. Your hand extended to us that we might know and love you more. We thank you, Father, for the hope that we have through your son, Jesus, 
that we are made new in him. We thank you for his promises and for his teaching that help us to live our lives each day in a way that would better honor and glorify you. We love you, God. It's in his name we pray.